The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the Feast of Pentecost, and uh, it's the final day of Easter. Now, interesting enough, just to kind of understand the importance of it, is that Pentecost used to be a whole week long. Kind of like Easter, there's an octave for Easter, there's an octave for Christmas. Pentecost is the third most important feast day that we celebrate. And it used to be honored by an eight-day octave. Uh, it's no longer, obviously, the case. Uh, but it was celebrated for multiple days. Now it's just one day at the end of Easter. Pentecost has uh, more, than, more of a history than just the feast day that we celebrate today. Pentecost is actually a Jewish feast of the harvest. It's kind of the, the time of the first harvest. And so it's the first fruits are actually being sacrificed to God, are being given and offered God at Pentecost. This, this gathering that we hear about in the first reading where Jews from all over the world, all these converts and, and Jews, are there to offer the first fruits. Now, I find this very significant, right? I mean, everything that God works, right? He works uh, not in complete isolation or in opposition, but instead, as Jesus says, in fulfillment, right? We see these things properly, not and as isolated cases of God working, but God building and fulfilling and continuing to work today. And so I think it's so important for us to be able to see the ways that God worked in the past and how there's fulfilling them in a greater way. Well, one of the things that, you know, we should be thinking about right away when we hear about this Pentecost, we hear about the coming of the Holy Spirit, is we th- should think about Genesis. And that the Holy Spirit did not just come at Pentecost and before that, the Holy Spirit was never involved in the world. But instead, we hear uh, very beginning, at the very beginning of Genesis, that God breathed, right, life into Adam. That there was wind, the, the breath of God over the waters. And we should see the Holy Spirit working within that. As we hear in the Gospel, that Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's one of the reasons why uh, this breath, this breath of God is a little bit more than just uh, 
you know, now we're afraid of, you know, any breath might get on people because of coronavirus or whatnot. But there is something that is transferred, right, in our breath. It's not just movement of air, but it's something that's of ourself that's being given. And God gives himself as the Holy Spirit, right? That the Holy Spirit isn't just a part of God, but the Holy Spirit is God. That the Holy Spirit is an extension of God, is one of the persons of the Trinity, and is not opposed to God, the Father and the Son, right? But are unified as one. It's one of the interesting things that you'll, you'll notice, this breathing. One of the things that I intentionally do is that the, during the consecration is that I intentionally breathe on the host and on the wine. If you notice, I hold up the bread and wine. And then when I say the words of consecration, it instructs you, uh, instructs the priest to slightly bow. And that slightly bow, slight bow puts it so that my breath is actually breathing on the, the, for the consecration, that the breath, it's not only the words, but also the breath. Now, it's not completely, right? It's not, it's, the institution is through the words, but the, but the symbolism and the continuation of that breath is significant. And we should think of Genesis in the way that the Holy Spirit worked in the past and continues to work. We also see that this isn't the first time that the Holy Spirit worked, right? We see the Holy Spirit work with Mary, right? And, and works, quite frankly, all over the Old Testament. But isn't necessarily understood in the way that the understanding nor works in the way that we see within Pentecost. One of the other things that we should uh, kind of remind us uh, as we hear about the first reading and the way that these are, things are happening is we should also think about the Tower of Babel. I think that's one of the biggest things that kind of comes to mind uh, as a contradiction, right? At the Tower of Babel, man was trying to build themselves to be like God, to unify, except for not unify for the good of humanity, but to unify to try to kind of take over, to, to show how powerful they are. And God strikes them down in that. Well, one of the aspects that the Tower of Babel does is that before they all had a common language, and the Tower of Babel, right, confuses them. Well, it's beautiful, and we should be thinking about, again, the fulfillment where God wants to bring that back because he wants to bring that back, that unity, except for unity in God, where then we see within this that each one of them heard him speaking in their own language. Now, that's amazing, right? That the Tower of Babel divided people and the Holy Spirit comes to unite them in God. Uh, a 5th century bishop from Africa beautifully points out that the church, although uh, not everyone within the church has the gift of tongues such as this to be able to speak and that everyone might understand them, the church does speak the language of all peoples, right? That the church translates the Bible, translates the liturgy, speaks in every language. Even though that it's not as miraculous as this happen, happening, it is miraculous. And in that, the Holy Spirit is working to unite us all. But that unify, unification, I, I think, is very important for us to be able to say that it's a unity of diversity. And we hear about that in the second reading today, right? That the church... Uh, unifies through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not through ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit. 
and that it unifies in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not just the members made up. The body of Christ has Jesus as the head, right? We're not doing our own thing. We're not making our own decisions, right? Jesus is the head. The Holy Spirit unites us to the head and allows us to be able to operate and be united in that way. But we recognize that we're not all we're not all the same, right? We have a unity of diversity, which I think is so incredibly powerful. It's one of the things that I continue to learn and be amazed by, right? Um, sometimes we want people of the same as us, right? Uh, we see this kind of bias happening all over the place, where we uh, we associate with people who look like us who act like us, who have the same likes, who have maybe the same personality, and we see that often we gravitate towards people that are similar to us. Well, that's a, a, a detriment at times to the great gift of diversity. I think about it in my different experiences, and, and uh, one of the ones I was just reflecting on more recently was my experience of being on a totus tuus team. And I reflect, it, reflect on it now, and I reflected at the, you know, certain times during my time doing Totus Tuus during the summer, and uh, it's super awesome uh, experience, but I realized that if the team was made up of all seminarian Sams, it would have been a horrible team. It would have been great from my perspective because everybody would have listened to me and completely understood my you know, thought process and would have been on the same page as me and everything else. But it would have been terrible because it wouldn't have been diverse. I realized that I have certain weaknesses. Little tiny kids I can deal with for about five minutes. And then I'm like, I don't understand. You like, what am I supposed to do with you? Like, how am I supposed to teach you? How am I supposed to lead you? I don't, I don't get it, right? But some other people on my team were able to do that, right? And that diversity just made us, allowed us to be able to be a full team instead of a one-dimensional team. And the same exact thing with the church, right? We have certain people who are really good at some things and really bad at those things. But what we hope is that we have a diversity uh, that, that all come with different gifts to be able to share so that we might be unified as one. And this diversity is not just in talent and weaknesses, but we also see this diversity happen uh, in, in races, also in gender. That this diversity is incredibly important in God's creation, right? It's not just diversity that we are uh, ascribing culturally, but instead a diversity that we see God has given us, right? A diversity in nature, a diversity that he gives us, that doesn't reduce equality, but, but recognizes that there is always within humanity an equality in dignity, but a difference, right? That men and women are equal in dignity, but different, right? Men cannot give birth to children. That's okay, right? And we're not angry about that. We should be grateful for that diversity in it and recognize the gifts that are given in each situation. 
The Holy Spirit wants us to be pulled together in a diversity and unity. It's one of the great gifts and one of the convicting things of the church is that the church should have been pulled apart and divided completely. Now we see division happening within the church, right? We see that in the Protestant Reformation that the church was divided, but not completely, right? There were parts that were broken off, but the church as the Catholic Church, has continued to be united, even though some have left the communion of the church, that doesn't mean that the church has lost its unity, right? Um, but it's one of the amazing things that the Catholic Church has continued to exist for 2,000 years, and I think it's one of the most convicting arguments for the Holy Spirit continuing to work in the church, because quite honestly, any other organization, and especially an organization like the Catholic Church, that has scandals, right? that has human beings who are helping to lead it, right? That, that has suffered persecution, has suffered prosperity. I'll say suffered prosperity because in the prosperity is often the greatest difficulties, right? And the divisions that happen, right? But yet the church continues to be unified. Why? Not because we're so great, but because the Holy Spirit continues to work. And I think that is a testament to the divine nature of the church and the Holy Spirit continuing to work in the diversity of all. Now, Pope Francis today um, beautifully uh, outlines different enemies of the gift, enemies of that Holy Spirit, enemies of unity, enemies of the Holy Spirit. And those three enemies are narcissism, victimhood, and pessimism. And I guess I'd just like to challenge you like Pope Francis challenged you on those three things. Narcissism. Are we coming to God as narcissists? Placing God as, uh, making God in our image? Are we trying to make the church in our image? Do we only believe things that we completely understand or agree with? Are we more formed by our own thoughts? Or are we formed by God's commandments? Right? By the Holy Spirit working in the church? Narcissism. Are we focused more on self than on the community? Narcissism prevents, is an enemy of the Holy Spirit, an enemy of the gift. Victimhood. This victimhood, which is kind of narcissistic, which kind of says, no one understands me, right? No one loves me. No one cares about me. No one can understand what I'm going through. Well, except for the fact that Jesus can understand, right? Jesus has suffered every evil, every temptation, every suffering, and he understands, and he loves you, right? You're not alone in this. Victimhood says, I have no control over anything that happens to me. No, you always have control over what you do. You don't always have control over everything, but you always have control over how you respond and what you do. And victimhood prevents the Holy Spirit from working because it, because it, it, it says, I'm not able to do anything. No, 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 you are. And I think about that, you know, specifically thinking, I'm not going to go into that. Pessimism is the third, pessimism. Why, does that, why is that an enemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, because the Holy Spirit gives us hope. It says, in a hopeless situation, look, God worked. And with pessimism, we say, well, 
Nothing's going to happen. It's always going to be bad. It's always bad things happening. And we always focus on the negative. Well, no, no, no. With pessimism, we don't allow ourselves to see the gifts. The Holy Spirit fills us with hope and allows us to be able to always be hope and to say, I don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to fix this. I don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to work in this. But guess what? I know that the Holy Spirit's going to work. I have hope not in myself, not in the way that we've done it in the past, but because I have hope that God constantly renews the face of the earth. Because God continues to work. And so let us not be formed by the enemies of the gift of narcissism, victimhood, and pessimism, which are the, uh, are the thoughts, are the movements of the age, of the world, of, I'll quite honestly say, media, right? And we want to be formed by the Holy Spirit, which gives us love, which gives us power, which gives us hope. The church is ever new because the church is constantly being reborn, right? By each new member, by each baptism, by each conversion, by each Holy Spirit that's given. May we pray to the Holy Spirit to constantly renew the church even in this time for unity in the church and also in the world, but especially in the church that might spread to the world, right? But we pray for our life, for the church, and for the world. But we pray to the Holy Spirit for the gifts of unity, for the gift of love, forgiveness, and peace. And so may we come to the Lord and ask for that Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ gives it to the apostles, and he gives us to today in unity with him. And so let us pray in that unity and the gift of the Holy Spirit today and, and throughout the entire church.